This podcast is brought to you by the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Many refugees who still don't have the right to work are feeling the impacts of the cost of living crisis, leaving them unable to put food on the table for their families, let alone afford rent, healthcare and other essentials. You can give to ASRC's end-of-year appeal and help shine a light of hope for refugees and people seeking asylum this festive season. Donate today at asrc.org.au slash donate. Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we are going to examine how 2023 went down for women in Australia. From sport to business, politics and health, we're going to try and give you a fast answer. We will see how we go. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux uh, at the end of December, getting very close to the holiday period and very close to the end of the year. And this will be our final episode for 2023. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm joining from Gadigal Land. And as always, I am joined by Women's Agenda Editor, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. Can't believe it's the end of the year. What the heck? And I say as always, but you did not join me last week. so I know. It's just erroneous what you just said. You just lied to our I did. listeners. Information or disinformation or just outright lies. I don't know. So normally we start with wins, but uh, we're not going to do that today. We're going to take a bit of a different approach. I thought that I would start by sharing uh, some numbers. So we've just sort of crunched a few figures that we do every month for our insights report, and we've just seen the copy today, so we're able to pull in some of those. And that is where we just try to take the latest stats that we're getting through and reporting on from various news sources and different organisations that do these sorts of things and try to pull them all together into the one report. Um, so, but for women in Australia, I guess this is kind of where we're landing at the end of 2023. So we do, you know, we've got the national gender pay gap is at 13%, which is a low. We also saw women reaching record workforce participation levels this year. The total remuneration gender gap has also dropped, uh, well, just ever so slightly. It's now at 21.7% according to the Workplace Gender Equality Agency at the end of November and as we've seen in our report today, we've got 10.5% of ASX 200 CEOs are women, which I don't know that that's a record. That seems about the same as the last few years. Uh, we've got... That's sad 50, if that's a record. <laughs> geez, yeah, 56.58% of Australian federal senators are women, 36.41% of Australian MPs in the House of Reps are women. Women are leading 13.5% of UN-recognised countries. And this one... Uh, you know, very sadly, but right now Destroy the Joint is reporting that 61 women have been killed by violence this year, which will exceed the 57 they reported for 2022. We are still, you know, a week or so out from the end of the year. That number is tragically uh, likely to rise. We also know that the um, Christmas and New Year period can be a really difficult time for a lot of women and, and children who do experience domestic and family violence. So, Tala, what do you see in some of these numbers, the good, the bad? What's, where, where are you? How are you feeling? I am feeling, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know, Ange. I really don't know how I'm feeling. I feel like there's been some progress in certain areas. I like to see that, you know, we're up to 56% of Australian federal senators being women. I think that that's important. And obviously, we've come quite a far way in terms of representation in Australian Parliament more broadly, in terms of gender equality, in terms of cultural 
diversity in terms of, of other kind of diversity in parliament. So that has been a definite win. And I think that's been a highlight for me over the last couple of years. The 10.5% of ASX 200 CEOs being women is, I think, glaringly troubling to know that, you know, that's where we're at in terms of corporate leadership in this country is a real worry because we know how much sway and influence, you know, big business has on everything from politics and policy to, to you know, the, the general kind of functioning of society. And we know how important diversity is in business and we are just still not seeing that. And I want to know what is going on. You know, we see these leadership pathways and all these programs put in place in business and, and what is coming out of it if we're still at that point. I think that's a real, real concern. And gender pay gap, meh. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of stuck around that point for a while. Yeah, okay, sure. It's like dropped by what, like 0.3% or something. That's at least, I guess there's progress there. We're not going backwards, but I wouldn't call it a, a win by any stretch of the imagination. And then I think the the most horrible distressing aspect of those figures that you just cited is by far the destroy the joint statistics around the rate of women who have been killed by violence this year to to know that we are exceeding the stats from last year shows that we are not making the progress we need Um, it shows that the funding and the resourcing that is going into domestic and family violence is not where it needs to be. And it it shows that we need a major social rethink and policy rethink on where we're going with it. I I think, you know, every woman in this country has probably seen, you know, these reports coming in almost on the weekly of women dying and children dying. And it's a really disconcerting thing to, to know that we are just not we're not concentrating on it in the way that we need to concentrate on it. And I, I I know that we say this every year, we say this every week, essentially, Ange, but I mean, policymakers and politicians need to be so much more focused on this area. Like we need to see it become, we need to see it looked at as the crisis it is because it, it still isn't. And, and I think there's, there's still so many people in this country that think that domestic violence is something that happens to someone else, that happens somewhere else. It doesn't happen in their neighbourhood or within their own family or in their friendship group. And we know that it does. Statistically, it does. You will know someone who is perpetrating abuse on someone else. So please be aware of that and please push for greater advocacy on that. And I think that's where I'm at, which isn't all that jolly, um, I guess, to leave my final thoughts on on those insights, but some some minimal wins, but some really glaring concerns as well. Yes, some glaring concerns. And I mean, we're looking, so Bria in our team is looking at some of those figures uh, today, and she's also highlighting some of the shifts, I guess, some of the policy announcements as well that have been you might say a bit more positive where there has been more funding. The Royal Commission that got announced in South Australia just over the past week. Also the, the national plan being released. I feel it's a bit lofty to say like this commitment, this idea of ending domestic and family violence in our lifetimes or in the next generation or something because that's what the current government is saying. But then at the same time, obviously, 
what's happening isn't anywhere close to doing that as we're seeing those numbers have actually increased. So, yeah, we can we can see where more on that over the next few months. I guess I wanted to try and get a little bit more or highlight some more positive things. <laughs> and how do I how do I distill this? I was writing on this a little bit earlier, but I guess I think in 2023, and we've had a few different pieces on this as well this week, but looking at you know how women have really uh, shaped this year in different ways to what happened last year. And actually last year women also shaped 2022 because we saw dictionary.com listing woman as their word of the year in 2022 where they said that it was because, you know, women weren't separable from the story and they talked a lot about activism. We also saw like the rise of the female-dominated crossbench and the female-dominated where, you know, the tills picked up positions and a lot of talk about, um, you know, women in politics and things like that. So that was last year and then this year I think we saw it more in terms of the economic forces of women and it's like people finally kind of caught on (laughs) this idea that hey women's sport is actually pretty awesome let's go and watch and spend up around it and um, you know around entertainment and music and all these sorts of things that you know women and girls do want to come together and do want to attend concerts and do want to you know be part of something and get out there and um you know, it, it's wise for people to actually make sure they are creating things that do appeal to women and girls. So that's sort of what I have been thinking about, like on a more positive front, I guess. Um, I mean, one of the obvious ones is the Barbie movie franchise picked up nine Golden Globe nominations. It's been an epic box office hit, the biggest hit of 2023. But there's also been this run on, you know, Barbie effect that happens around the movie where there's uptick in purchases around, you know, and it's mainly from women and girls who are going to the cinema, they're getting together, they were eating out, picking up related merchandise and things like that. Taylor Swift is the obvious other massive global example. And I did speak about Taylor Swift last week on the podcast because it kind of clicked to me why she was actually named Times Person of the Year. And they talked about her bringing joy, which is great. Um, but the fact is that she, you know, has also brought spending and she's also kind of proved the economies of different cities where she tours. It's like really incredible to see her force around the era's tour. People will spend on travel. They spend on food and accommodation and clothing around those tours so that any city that gets Taylor Swift actually experiences this little mini <laughs> Taylor effect. Like that is amazing. Yeah. And, like, we'll have that in Australia in the, in the next year. And, of, of course, the Matildas and women's sport and, you know, the Matildas effect. We've got a Barbie effect, a Taylor Swift effect and the Matildas effect. And they did inspire an uplift in economic activity alongside, you know, they had also the record-breaking viewer numbers and the record-breaking ticket sales. And But there was also, again, activity around people coming together to celebrate and watch those games. It didn't have to be at the stadiums. It was in homes or in pubs or just people coming together and enjoying themselves and, you know, yeah, not just creating joy, but also creating some economic uplift as well. So, Oh, 100%. Definite power and some real highs on that end, just in these kind of big moments that have happened for women this year. And we spoke a lot about all of those stories, uh, particularly, you know, when the World Cup was happening with the Matildas. You know, I think that was such an uplifting time for Australia in general. And it really showed where women's sport is going and the momentum behind it and it completely rubbished the idea that no one's interested in women's sport. We know how powerful it is now as a a vehicle for change and bringing everyone together. And I think one thing else to note with the Matildas and what we saw with our own 
audience is not only how kind of inspired and engaged they were with everything that was going on during that tournament and, you know, the posts that we were putting out and the video reels and everything, everyone was just engaging with that and obviously um, sharing in that joy so much. But also the flow-on impact that we saw in a report that we put out this year around women's health that pointed to, I think, around 70% of women um, actually kind of using that as leverage and motivation to further their own kind of exercise and and really get kind of motivated in in sport themselves. And I think that's a huge thing. You know, we see so many women maybe put their own health and well-being and exercise on the back burner, particularly, you know, after having kids or, or you know, being in the throes of so many other kind of competing priorities. And I think that that was just such a, a lovely thing to see at that point. And I am really sure that that will kind of continue well into the years to come. So that was great to see. And 2024 was also a year that we witnessed some big resignations and some big appointments in Australia. We saw Michelle Bullock taking over from Philip Lowe at the RBA. We saw Vanessa Hudson named the CEO of Qantas, replacing Alan Joyce. We saw Danielle Wood appointed chair of the Productivity Commission. Jacinta Allen, who became Premier of Victoria, she took leadership of the Labor Party, replacing Dan Andrews. Uh, and Leah Weckert, who became CEO of Coles. Ansh, what do you make of those appointments? So I, I think like there's been, I mean, there's obviously a lot more appointments that happened this year as well. They were just, I think, a, a few of the, the ones that really got the front page news treatment and that we, and that we also spent a bit of time on also the first thing I might obviously say is and you brought this up around the CEO appointments is that not much shifted around the CEO figure and we saw that you know obviously there was the appointment of Coles and Qantas and even those big appointments it hasn't really done much to completely shift things because we've also had CEOs step down as as happens so and that's the thing when the numbers are so teeny tiny around the proportion of women in certain forms of leadership that when one woman does step down it can dramatically shape reshape the number I might say there was also some really big resignations on the international level and I know that we're really trying to focus on Australia in this episode but um Obviously, Jacinda Ardern at the beginning of the year was was huge. And that was at a time when we did see, I think it was around four or so country leaders stepping down and, again, just dramatically altering the figures there for something that is way too low for, for women's representation. But with those appointments, and we've spoken about this a lot, but, like, we can't go past the, like, the mopping up that we see in these appointments. Like, you know, we know that things weren't going too well for Philip Lowe at the RBA and, Lo and behold, in comes a woman. Things weren't going so well for Qantas uh, and Alan Joyce. And, you know, there's Vanessa Hudson who, you know, also had to front up to the Senate inquiry to explain Qantas's actions with Joyce, you know, moving his exit three or so months forward and somehow avoiding that horrific situation. And then in an example, you know, where a woman did step down, so the former CEO of Optus, Kelly Bayer Rosmarin, you know, she announced her resignation after fronting up to the inquiry, which I thought just was just such a nice contrast between her and Alan Joyce. And, you know, Kelly uh, Bayer Rosmarin, she also, like, obviously we had the um, massive Optus outage and, Clearly, the communication was all off, but a little bit of credit for her and the fact that she did try to see things through for a few days. She didn't, like, fight to hang on to her power and then she resigned Yeah, and tried to answer the questions and stuff like that. So I think there's something to be said for that. I might note that then in Queensland, 
this week, obviously, with Anastasia Palaszczuk stepping down. And now we've got a new Premier of Queensland and he gets a job like with just a few days out from the end of the year. And so that's uh, Premier Stephen Miles. I mean, you might say that he's got a bit of a situation. Obviously, he's dealing with the crisis in the north of Queensland at the moment. And also the fact that things aren't looking too great for the Labor Party going into the election next year. So, yeah, lots of interesting movements there. <laughs> Maybe there's an argument that men face a glass cliff. Um- <laughs> I was like, listen. Even Miles was like, oh, he's like the reverse of this. This is interesting. This is like, we don't get this. Lot, like the this one example. The one. And, I, and then you might say that Anastasia felt like when you look back at her legacy, one of the really incredible things was that she started with a completely decimated party in opposition and then went to win the next election and the next two elections after that as well, which was pretty incredible. But yeah, so lots of big appointments this year, lots of mopping up going on. Another example that I've often talked about is a PwC when like PwC got a, a female CEO for like an interim period and, you know, she had to go out and be the one to do the apology to the government and the apology to customers and the apology to staff. It's like, that's like a tough gig to take on. And I also noticed that she's actually now resigned from PwC and is leaving over the next month or so. So That's how it works, right? <laughs> That's it. That's the whole point of the glass cliff. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of mopping up happening. I really feel for Michelle Bullock, to be fair. Although she does seem to be received far better than than Philip Lowe, you know. And and I haven't seen too much commentary about her doing a dud job thus far. But obviously, Philip Lowe was incredibly unpalatable at the, at the point that he lost that gig. And and same for Vanessa Hudson. She's got she's really got her work cut out for her. Oh, Tyler, there was another one. There was Stephanie Foster who was appointed Home Affairs boss. Oh yes, yeah. So I wrote about her a few weeks back, but it was another case of a man being stood down, being stood aside for an investigation. He or resigning or ending his term early, and um, just as he's you know what he runs happens to be in crisis or chaos. And in comes another woman. So <laughs> Stephanie Foster, appointed Home Affairs Secretary, she replaced Mike Pizzullo, who was stood aside for an investigation into misconduct back in mm. September, and he was officially sacked in November. Like, I don't mind women coming in to mop up the shit because, let's face it, women are likely to be better at mopping up the shit. But what I just want to see is more women like moving into cushy leadership roles where they don't have to do that as well. Like, you know, there's just got to be a nice contrast there. But but certainly, you know, I'm happy for them to to keep bringing women in to solve what couldn't be solved before. So, I mean, I know that we've really just scratched the surface of a few things and there are so many places we could go. But I guess, Tyler, any final thoughts as we see out this year that uh, was not the easiest? No, it wasn't the easiest. And it's like, it doesn't make me feel good to kind of end this episode and end this series and our year on, on this note. But I also think it's really important to bring up what we saw happen with the voice of parliament and the referendum. And frankly, I don't think that we have followed up or analysed what went on there nearly half as much as as we really need to and what we owe um, Indigenous Australians in this country. We know that, you know, a lot of big global news stories have, you know, come um, off the back of 
the voice and and the the focus um, from mainstream media has been on those issues, which is is reasonable as well. Obviously, you know that there um, really big kind of atrocities happening in the world right now, but I just don't think that we've had any kind of we've not had the conversation that we need to off the back of what happened with that no vote. And I I just can't imagine how First Nations people are still feeling in this country, how kind of let down they feel by the fact that that result was so overwhelmingly in favour of them not having a voice to parliament, not being constitutionally recognised. And I still don't know how we can reconcile that as a country. And I, I just hope that next year, from a policy point of view, we have a lot more on the table there, that it's not a matter of this just kind of falling off the radar and falling out of consciousness altogether. Like we we need to do so much more. We know what the gaps are. We know that the mortality rate for First Nations people is so much lower than what it is for non-Indigenous Australians. We know that you know, the, the health gaps that exist for, for women, for babies, for, for that entire community, you know, the, the economic kind of shortfalls, there are so many. And we had the opportunity to give First Nations people, you know, the right to, to share their own insights on what's happening within their communities. And we chose not to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still incredibly disappointed and disheartened and disillusioned with what happened back in October. But I, as I say, my, my hope is that for next year, we, we bring that back onto the table. We bring that conversation back on the table and we make sure that we are laser focused on what we are doing to change the, the narrative and to change where we've been going because clearly what we have been doing and the status quo for First Nations Australians is not okay. It's it's never been okay. Ange, final thoughts for you. Well, final thoughts. Well, firstly, just on that particular note, we ask a question every year from our readers on what policy areas they want to see governments focusing on over the next 12 months. And I, I was looking at the results and I saw that Indigenous Affairs came up in the top sort of five or so, which I haven't seen previously in that poll. And Climate change was at the top, which, again, I think it was climate change last year, but it certainly wasn't anywhere near the top the year before. So you really see how the priorities really do shift, and I, I thought that was really powerful to see that about Indigenous affairs. And it's like, no, we, we want this focused on in 2024. So my final thought for 2024, I, I don't know, I'm thinking about how I can end on a positive and optimistic note, but um, I guess first of all to acknowledge that um, I think many of us are likely uh, – I know myself definitely, um, and I know many of our readers are, I guess, feeling a deep sense of unease and unease about things that I guess are largely beyond our control as well. Not always, but, um, you know, in many ways beyond our control. Things, you know, this was the hottest year on record. We didn't get a huge amount from COP28. We got something, but not as much as we needed. We have war in the Middle East. We have war in Europe. We have continued humanitarian crises in parts of Africa, in Afghanistan and, and elsewhere. We have levels of misinformation that I just feel we haven't seen before. Tensions and divisions here in Australia and internationally also. Um, and of course, like the, the cost of living crisis that um, we're all feeling too. There is so much going on. And I know this episode has focused on Australia. And you know, in some cases, we do get a little bit light with this episode too. But um, I do think that there has been some positive things going on this year. And it's worth 
leveraging some of those into the near if we can you know the community spirit that we saw around women's sport the push into telling more women's stories into increasing conversations about violence into getting more politically engaged around things like the voice um around you know, there were some great developments around women's health and research and elevating areas of women's health that you know largely been ignored in the past and great collaborative and continued work from the women on the crossbench especially we had some you know, policy changes this year around childcare, paid parental leave. They were something, they're not enough, they're something. So there are things here that we can take into the new year and I think we can take some of those things with some hope and some optimism and a real drive, I guess, to push for much better. Here, here. That is the final thoughts and that is the final episode for 2023 and we hope to bring you lots and lots of wins and fun and positive and great stuff and great developments in the new year which we will and we will continue with this format. We will have a few weeks off. Our first newsletter back is on the 8th of January, 2024. That sounds strange. Thank you to all our readers and our listeners. Thank you to all our supporters that make it happen for us. We are you know, a small independent media business. Tyler and I own this business. We do rely on the partnerships that we have and we are so grateful to have them and for the support that we get this year. Um, also to our team, um, so Alison Ho had been producing this podcast earlier on in the year. We now have Olivia Cleal on the team and Olivia's sitting there now. So thank you so much to Liv and also Liv to all your awesome stories that you've done over the past few months since joining us on this agenda too. A big shout out to everyone listening. Have a, a safe holiday period. We wish you well and all the best for 2024. Thank you for listening.